Well, in the text that he read out of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, is my text for today. So rather than rereading the text, I'll just ask you to try to remember the text that he read. And there's just, uh, I have like, Heather asked me, uh, what, what are you preaching on this morning? I said, well, Christmas. Uh, but uh, I'm actually just calling it Random Thoughts. From Luke one through Luke two one through twenty, and uh, that passage starts off in a familiar way that in those days Caesar Augustus, the greatest, uh, most powerful person on the planet at that time, sent out a a decree that all the world, all the Roman world, should be registered, and he required that every person go back to their own city, the city of their birth, so that they could be registered. It's interesting. Uh, I'm sure that uh, he had his reasons for doing that. I'm sure that Caesar must have thought, well, this would be a good idea. I can find out how many people are in the empire, how many are of uh, uh, military age and things like that. I don't know what his thinking was, but I do know that really it wasn't just his idea. God actually moved a king, an emperor, to order a census for a simple reason, to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? And the very first thought that came to me, my first random thought, (laughs) is that God controls kings and empires. He is in control of the whole world. The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And I'm sure that Joseph must have wondered. In fact, I've just tried to imagine this week, he must have said, bummer. Man, this is a bad time for us to be making a trip to Bethlehem. He may have even thought about, well, maybe we won't go. Maybe we this or that. Or maybe I'll just go by myself. But no, he didn't want to leave Mary. And No, all the time, Micah the prophet, 700 years earlier, had said that Bethlehem would be the place where this baby would be born, where the Messiah would be born. And so God looks and he sees, okay, here's Mary and Joseph. They're in Nazareth. That's a long way from Bethlehem. So how am I going to get them to Bethlehem? I know what. I'll have Caesar Augustus make a decree that all the world has to go back to their, the city of their birth. And so he moves in the heart of this king to create a decree that sends everybody where they're born. And so Mary and Joseph leave Nazareth and make the long, treacherous trip. And by the way, if you've seen the nativity, the movie, the nativity, they do a very good job of showing just what an arduous trip that is across mountains and uh, into very, very treacherous and dangerous places. And so they make their way. And the, the point that came to me was God is in control. He is able to move through kings who are pagans. Caesar Augustus was certainly not a believer. And God worked through this unrighteous, powerful king for a simple purpose, to get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth 
to Bethlehem. He probably had other reasons himself, but God had that as a reason. The second thought that I had was that obedience often involves sacrifice. Obedience involves sacrifice. As Whether we're obeying God or whether we're obeying other authority in our life, many times it means that we just don't get to do things our way. It involves sacrifice. And it was such a hard trip. Again, uh, I probably will watch the nativity again today. But uh, uh, I love the, the emphasis that it was such a hard trip. And many times when we choose to do God's will, when we say, God, I will do what you ask me to do, it's not an easy path. It's a difficult path. And uh, uh, the easy path is to do it our own way. It seems like the easy path. But the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And God's way may seem hard, but ultimately it is the right path. Then the third thought that I had was that the inn was full, but God planned for Jesus to be born in a stable. Certainly, God could have had a room available, couldn't he? I mean, and you know, and I I wrote a devotional this morning. I sent out some of you. Some of you get my devotional, uh, see it. Okay, I, I was talking about the innkeeper, and I said, don't be so hard on, on the innkeeper. You know, it was, uh, his inn was full, my goodness. And uh, he didn't know what was happening here. He didn't know who was about to be born. And, of course, you know, somebody said, well, he could have given up his own room. You know, he could have said, well, I'll sleep in the barn. Well, he could have, but... I don't think I would have probably done that. And uh, so don't be so hard on him because really God did not want a room prepared in the inn. He wanted a place in a dirty, stinky, filthy stable for his son to be born. And my point in my devotion this morning was so many people say, well, well, I need to prepare a room for Jesus. I'll get it all clean and smelling good. Let me tell you, in the first place, you can never get a dirty heart clean and smelling good. But God doesn't want to move into a clean heart. He wants to move into a dirty heart, and he wants to cleanse it. So don't don't think, you know, well... Well, as soon as I get myself all clean enough, I'll let Jesus come in. No, no, he delights to come into dirty places and clean them himself. All right? So uh, uh, the end was full, but God's plan, God's design was for Jesus to be born in a stable. And then my fourth random thought is that I think it's so significant that lowly shepherds were the first to hear the good news. I love the shepherds in the Bible. I love the the shepherds. They were, you know, they were the lowest class of people. They were the gypsies of their day. 
They were the lowest category. Shepherds were not even allowed in the temple. They couldn't bring a sacrifice into the temple because they were always defiled. And uh, they, they lived with sheep. And uh, it was, again, a dirty task, a lowly task. And I think it's so interesting that when God sends his angel to announce the birth of his son. He does not go to kings. He does not go to governors. He does not go to rich people. He goes to the lowest class of people. And he says, I have good news for you. There is born to you today in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, God himself in the flesh. And the angels became the first to hear the good news. Then my fifth thought was that this was a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three terms there. Savior, he came to save. God sent his Son to save sinners. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, God sent his son to save us. Now, some people say, well, you know, I don't like that term saved. I've had people over the years tell me I don't like the term saved. Well, I do. (laughs) And one reason I like it is I've been saved. And I'm glad I'm saved. And uh, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be, what? Saved. That's right. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's right. See, the, God loves that term. And you say, well, well, I, I think of people who need to be saved as people who are, who are in serious danger. Yeah, right. People who are perishing, that's right. People who are in need of rescue, that's right. He is our Savior, the one who came to rescue us in our sin. And he is Christ, the word Messiah. He is the long-awaited one. He's the one that God promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the very first promise ever made in the Bible. God said that uh, uh, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and that in doing so, he himself would be wounded with a mortal wound in his heel. And I love the Bible Project uh, uh, video of this where it shows the Messiah stomping on the snake and the snake biting him on the heel and then he falls back and both appear to have been destroyed. But then the next scene is the stone rolls away and the wounded Messiah, the crucified Savior, steps forth out of the grave and has victory, victory. Someday, ultimate, final, total victory. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Lord. 
This is the name given to Jehovah in the Old Testament. This is the name given to God himself. And so Jesus is Christ who is God, the Messiah who is God himself. And then the sixth random thought is that the sign was Jesus himself. They said, uh, the, shep- the angel said to the shepherds, and this will be a sign unto you. You will find Mary and Joseph and the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Jesus himself was the sign. And sometimes people today say, well, I'm just, I just want God to show me a sign. I say, yeah, he's already given us a sign. And that sign is Christ. Jesus himself, Jesus is the sign. And uh, Jesus said to those who were asking for a sign, he said that there will be no sign given to you except the sign of Jonah. And as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the, the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is the sign. And so the, the baby was the sign, and Christ is the sign today. And then the angels... You know, there's a question as to whether the angels sang or not. You think the angels sang? It doesn't say they sang, but I just can't imagine them just saying this. I just think there's got to be some music in the background. I think there's a whole orchestra playing, and I think they couldn't help but put it to music. I mean, and they sing glory to God in the high. You couldn't just say that, could you? especially if you were angels. And they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Now, the way the King James says it, goodwill to men. That's really not the best translation. And I know some people don't like to messing with the King James, you know. But I'm just telling you the truth. All the ancient uh, manuscripts and even the King James manuscript that was translated, the Textus Receptus, the translation is not goodwill to men, but it is God's favor on those with whom he is pleased. God's favor with those uh, upon those with whom he's pleased. Who are those that God is pleased with? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, without what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what he's saying is those who trust in Christ, those who believe, those who recognize and honor him as Christ the Lord, then God's favor rests upon them. That's why we say, as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace, that's God's favor. Are you saved, there's that word again, through faith? That's the way, that's the way salvation works. I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a friend of mine in Wills Point and said, uh, I'd like to ask you to do a favor. 
for us, said there's a friend of ours who is dying with cancer. He was diagnosed with cancer just a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and they've given him just a month to live and said he is wanting to know about God. Could you go and see him? said he's in a hospital over in Mesquite. So I went over there the next day, and I took that verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and I said to him, you know, grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no man can boast. And I said, his name was Michael. I said, Michael, this verse tells us, first of all, that grace means we don't deserve it. You can never earn it. You can never be good enough. And I said, the people who need grace are people who have sinned. And he said, well, I, I certainly qualify there. I said, then the Bible says that God's grace is available to you. But it is by grace through faith. I said, what is faith? I said, faith is truly believing, genuinely believing what God says, that Jesus died for sinners, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And I said, that's the gospel. Took him to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul said, this is the gospel which we preach, that Christ Jesus died for sinners according to the Scripture. And that he was buried and that he rose again three days later according to the Scripture. And I said, if you believe that you're a sinner and you really believe that Jesus died for sinners, then that means you have to say, Jesus died for me. And if you believe that, really believe that, and then welcome him into your life, the Bible says you will be saved. And he and his wife both prayed that night just the sweetest, simplest prayer, something like this, Jesus, I do believe that I'm a sinner, but I believe you died for sinners. I believe you died for me. Thank you. Thank you for dying for me. I receive you. Amen. And then I had the joy of baptizing them there in that hospital room. Now, I know some of you, the hardcore Baptists, are going to say, well, how could you have baptized them in a hospital room, especially with a man who's just got a few weeks to live, maybe a few days to live. And I said, well, I told them, imagine that this is a baptistry. This is a tank. And I'm going to fill a cup with water, and I'm going to lean you back in the water, and I'm going to pour this over your head. And that's what I did. And I'm telling you, there were about eight or nine people in the room plus Jesus. Man, I tell you what, God was present in that room. People were weeping and rejoicing. And uh, I went over to see the man again, was it yesterday? Yesterday. And uh, he was in such a weakened state now that he couldn't even talk. But his family said he has just been a changed man. 
He is rejoicing in the fact that he knows that he has a Savior. And uh, that's, uh, that's why the Bible says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, peace to those with whom God is pleased. They've put their trust in him. Just a good question right here. Have you done that? Have you have you said, Jesus, I, I am a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin is more than offensive. It is enough to bring me under the judgment of death. But I believe, I really believe that God became flesh, lived here on this planet, and then willingly laid down his life for sinners, for me. And I trust him. I receive him. I welcome him into my life. Then, if you do that, you are one of those who can have peace because God is pleased by your trusting in him. And then they rejoiced and told others. It's hard not to want to tell others when something really, really good happens, isn't it? When you have a baby, I've never had a baby, but uh, my wife's had three. And every time we have a baby, I want to call everybody and tell them. Guess what? When we had grandchildren, got some of our grandchildren here, just as excited. Now great-grandchildren. I don't know if I'll be as excited about great-great-grandchildren, but uh, will I, Joe? Yep. Joe and Maxine just had their second great-great-grandchild. And he couldn't wait to tell me. <laughs> yeah. We like to tell good news, don't we? We like to share good things. And these shepherds, they came, and I assume they must have knelt there in that stable, and they saw God, God's face. I was thinking this last week. The Bible says no one has ever seen God at any time because God is invisible. But here, the first people to look into the face of God were lowly shepherds, other than Mary and Joseph. You want to see God? Isaiah says, in the book of Isaiah, he says, I'm the Lord. I dwell in high and lofty places in heaven that my hands have made. But then he says, but I also dwell with those who have a humble and a contrite heart and tremble at my word.
You want to prepare your heart? You don't prepare it by trying to clean it. You prepare it by humbling it and say, God, I yield myself to you. And then they rejoiced and told others. And then finally, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Most people believe that Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, got most of his information from interviews with people because he himself was not a disciple. He himself was not a one who traveled with Jesus. So he's writing as a reporter. And most people believe that much of his information for these first chapters came from Mary herself. That his interview with Mary, wouldn't you have loved to have been there as he sits there with pad and pen and asks questions? Now, tell me again, how did that come about? An angel? Whoa, and he writes it down. All under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And his interview with Mary was so rich because she had treasured up all these things in her heart and had thought about them for all these years. Three takeaways today. Number one, based on this passage of Scripture, God is in control of all your circumstances. Boy, sometimes don't we feel like it's out of control? Sometimes we feel like trying to gather stuff in and it's like trying to hug jello or something you know <laughs> out of control well it may be out of our control and usually a lot of times it's out of our control but isn't it good to know it's never out of his control and then his life is understood by the humble and then he deserves desires and demands our faith our praise, our love, and our response. That's what he wants from us. He doesn't want us to uh, try to show off. He didn't want us to, uh, quote, be religious. He wants us to humble ourselves before God, before the mighty hand of God, and say, God, I love you so much. I'm so grateful that while I was a sinner, helpless, hopeless, you loved me and you sent your son to die in my place. And now I love you. You love me. I love you back. And here's my response to you. I trust you. I trust you. I yield to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this uh, very, very familiar story that we've heard and read hundreds, really hundreds of times in our life. And I pray that the familiarity of it will not in any way rob it of its wonder, its amazement, its truth. And I pray today that you will help each one of us to have the humble heart 
of one of the shepherds, the obedient heart of Joseph, the wondering and amazed heart of Mary, and that we ourselves will bow before Jesus and welcome him into our heart and be able to say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those of us with whom you're pleased because of our faith. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.